Mike Broomhead, where did that weekend go? I know it was Seems over. like we were just here. I know it's it's. They always say the you know the first five days after the weekend are the hardest. <laughs> so it, it's it was a short weekend for me, but a, a productive one. It, and oh, good morning, Jamie. It's always good to talk to you Monday or Friday. Good morning. All right. Good morning, everyone. A lot to get to coming up at eight thirty-five. Chris Camacho joins us. He is the president and CEO of GPEC, the Greater Phoenix Economic Council. We're going to talk about the immense growth in Maricopa County, the intentional growth where we're going, because where we start this morning is with the bad news. Average gas prices here in the Valley are at about four fifty-eight. It's four fifty-nine in Metro in Phoenix, where I live. I paid four forty-nine yesterday, so I don't know if I beat the jump or what happened, but I paid four forty-nine. Uh, we are seeing an immense rise in gas prices uh, because the Saudis, and we are going to see it go even higher. The Saudis, along with the other OPEC nations, have decided to cut one million barrels per day in oil production. This is going to be rough for us and for other places around the world with this production cut. So the easy road to go down for me anyway is to begin talking about the way this uh, is going to affect everyone and the fact that America is not energy independent is a frustrating thing. Um, and I want you to hear a little bit of this, an analyst on oil prices. Uh, who is this good news for? This is Tom Close, analyst in oil prices information. This is not good news. It's not good news for the United States. It's good news, I suppose, if you're in the oil production business, but not uh, for end users, consumers. So what caused this cut in production? OPEC looked at uh, a slowdown uh, in global economies and felt they needed to do something. But I, I don't think anybody expected them to have a cut going into this meeting. This is a real surprise. We are going to see here in the U.S. where you're moving into the summer driving season is not far behind us. Here in the state of Arizona specifically, we use a blend of gasoline this time of year that's much more expensive to produce and refine. So the prices are already higher. I think we're the third highest. We're definitely top five in the entire nation for fuel prices. And what is this doing to the average family in Arizona? This is where all of the, um, the issues come from. And it's going to continue to climb. So the short-term and long-term effects, there's nothing that the White House is going to be able to do to snap their fingers and fix this problem. But we have sent a clear message around the world that climate change leads the way. It isn't energy independence. It certainly isn't energy security. It is uh, climate change. And that is the mantra of this White House. Again, I disagree with it, but it has to be acknowledged. There are a lot of people out there that believe that climate change, and we'll talk a little bit more about climate change later on in the show there is <clears throat> one of the uh, one of the people that works just got appointed in the Biden administration bragging of how she's going to use the position for fuel efficiency because she's working for transportation and the fuel efficiency requirements for vehicles as vehicle prices continue to climb. That costs the average American more money. What's interesting about all of this is the fuel efficiency standards. The people that benefit from that are the people that can afford newer cars. If you're driving an older car, the fuel efficiency standards are less. So it is working class Americans that pay the higher price here. The idea, and they quit saying it, and I think they quit saying it because they heard from enough of their own people that it was making working class people angry that agreed with them on climate change. If you just had a had a, an electric vehicle, well, electric vehicles are very expensive, very expensive. Now, we've seen Tesla cut its prices, and they've seen an uptick in production and orders, although they're not meeting their goals. The number one issue for this administration has been climate change. Now we are facing higher gas prices. The Saudis will be enriched. 
All those OPEC nations are going to be enriched. The Iranians, the Russians will be enriched by this. We're continuing to try to fund their war. The Chinese are going to do business with all of them. And now what happens when this deal, if this deal continues, if they break through in this deal with the Chinese and the Saudis in order to trade oil? Because remember, the handshake deal back in the 1970s that was made between the U.S. and the Saudis was that oil would be traded around the world with the U.S. dollar, that any nation that wanted to buy oil had to trade their currency in for the U.S. dollar, which props us out as the default currency, props us up as the default currency around the world. Well, that deal is in danger. The Chinese have already been cutting deals with other nations in smaller amounts to deal in their currency. And if the Saudis agree with them and they have a, a deal where they can change, they can trade in Chinese currency, it further weakens the dollar. And we are watching oil prices out of our control. This is the part of all of this that frustrates me and many other people. The the uh, energy independence is national security. We are now beholden to nations who are going to be immensely enriched. Our, this administration will continue to complain about American oil companies who are profiteering, but they're not saying that it's the OPEC nations that are profiteering, that the Russian – we are sending billions of dollars, I would venture to say probably trillions of dollars eventually, into the economy of Ukraine – or I shouldn't say economy, but the war in Ukraine with equipment and money and supplies – and the Russians just got enriched by virtue of a price increase because Russia is nothing but a glorified gas station anyway. So now the Russian economy is going to be bolstered. Their war efforts are bolstered because of this. And we have no ability to offset it. We have no ability to offset this. All of the people that want to throw around statistics, I, I will. they refuse to answer one simple question. Because they say the oil companies aren't going to pump more oil and drive down the price. Why would they? Well, why did they? Why did we pay less than $3 per gallon for four straight years? Regulation had been lowered. Um, it was easier for them to refine. It was easier for them to ship. It was easier. Drilling and fracking was in place. We had a pipeline that was going in. All of these measures that were going to keep us producing oil – at a high rate, and we had more say in adjusting to the world's economy. Now, once again, look at these nations. You've got the Saudis, UAE, you've got Russia, you've got Iran, you've got uh, Venezuela. All of these nations with dictatorship governments, with a disdain for the U.S., certainly the U.S. economy, if not for the U.S. militarily. I mean, I wouldn't call yet, I wouldn't say that China has become an enemy of the U.S. militarily, although we know it's becoming increasingly increasingly that way. We know the Iranians hate us and would love to wipe us off the face of the earth. The North Koreans have been threatening us for a, a decade. We know the Venezuelans don't like us very much, but they don't have power to do anything to us militarily. But all of them combined realize that no matter what this administration has done so far to try to cr uh, switch us over to electric vehicles and other things, we still have a huge dependence on oil-based products. Whether it's diesel fuel, gasoline, or all of the other petroleum-based products that America consumes, they're getting richer, and so will the oil companies. And you watch what happens when what we hear from this administration isn't about production. It isn't about competitiveness. It will be demonizing the oil companies for their obscene profits. So the uh, let's look at the other side of another industry. We didn't hear much about it. The uh, the food growers took some heat for grocery store prices, but we didn't hear a whole lot in complaining about the egg industry. 
You know, the egg industry has been seeing huge profits as well because the price of eggs was going through the roof because of the bird flu and the other things that had happened. So when that happens and they become, they're traded like everything else, when the price of eggs went through the roof, there was no outcry from the White House saying keep your prices low and your profits down. This is specifically an attack on the oil industry, on fossil fuels, whether it's oil or natural gas, whatever it is, this administration's going after it. This ridiculous ban now on light bulbs because it's going to be energy efficient, all of this stuff without any real planning, and it's going to cost you more money. The average American consumer is paying for all of this. We are paying every penny. Working class America, we're working and living paycheck to paycheck. You're paying the, the price of this. What's happening to you at the pumps this week? There are small business owners, as I speak right now, waking up to this news this morning of an oil production cut which means oil futures have gone up, gas prices are going to jump, they're scratching their heads and wondering. There's a story, and we're going to talk about it certainly later on in the show, that small business uh, stress from inflation is at an all-time high. I thought it was the small businesses we were all champions for. I thought the Republican Party and the Democrats, working class America, small business owners, they're the ones that are going to get crushed by this. And we have no plan, and we have no end in sight, and you can't snap your fingers and fix it. So now what? That's a great question. There is good news, though, and the good news is that the greater Phoenix area, Arizona as a whole, but Maricopa County, is growing faster than any other place in the country. It is good growth. It is a profitable, high-paying job growth, and it's intentional growth. And we're going to talk with Chris Camacho from GPEC, the Greater Phoenix Economic Council, coming up here in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Well, I'm a donor is a bus, I'm a donor is a holiday. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show, as always. I've been talking about intentional growth for a very long time. The way Arizona has transformed itself in the last eight years, ten years or so, we learned a big lesson in 2008, 2009 about the Arizona economy. It was too close to being myopic. It didn't have the diversity it needed, so when trouble hits in one industry, it crushed the state of Arizona. There was a lot of intent in what we are reaping the benefits of now. Joining us to talk about that from the Greater Phoenix Economic Council is the CEO, Chris Camacho. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me today. I want to give you two two headlines and then give me your first thoughts on it. First one, Arizona has a $58 billion in manufacturing investments, and the other one, Maricopa County leads the nation in population increase. What do those two things mean to you? Well, first, Mike, what I would say is we have absolutely shifted this region's economy from what we know of the five C's dating back to our inception as a state to now one of the top global hubs for uh, for manufacturing. And that's everything from semiconductors to advanced electronics uh, to energy related devices with LG Energy, for example, in their most recent uh, announcement in Queen Creek. So. We've seen uh, a lot of things contribute to this uh, this change, as you referenced, where uh, a pro-business uh, approach by Governor Ducey, now uh, Governor Hobbs, 
the cultivation of small business, and, and as you mentioned, this very intentional investment in infrastructure uh, and investment in people and, and talent has really put this region in a position to be successful. When you do those things right, you attract people from outside the state, and you also uh, spur new business, new small business growth. So all those things are happening here in Greater Phoenix. Yeah, I heard somebody uh, kind of jokingly say that we need to add another C, and that's chips to the uh, to the C's in, in Arizona. And this kind of growth, this is a long time coming. It's a concerted effort between people like you and the business community and then the Arizona Chamber of Commerce and different cities, chambers of commerce, and the government. And has that relationship stayed? Do you believe the relationship will be maintained with the new administration and Governor Hobbs? You know, Mike, I do. I mean, markets really uh, propel themselves. They're, they're kind of like flywheels. Once they get growing, growing they're very difficult to, to slow down. Now, with that said, we need to cultivate and, and maintain this pro-business attitude that we've had for the last decade. No accident why we, while we came out of the, the COVID-induced uh, pandemic uh, or recession, I should say, as the fastest growing jobs market, there was tremendous level of intentional behavior that occurred in 2012 all the way through uh, 2022. And all the reason why you know, my, my work with uh, with Danny over at the chamber and other organizations here in the region, we're putting Arizona in a position to be successful by making these intentional investments. And, and we have a big one ahead on uh, the regional transportation grid. Prop 400E is a big decision uh, that we're going to need to advance uh, here in our region if we want to see this market continue to evolve, but but all things as well, how we've produced technical talents at the community colleges as well as the university systems. This is a place where people want to be because of the job and, and economic growth opportunities. I know that there is also a, a, can you talk a little bit about that investment you say in transportation? How is that going to affect the region if it passes or if it doesn't? So that, that transportation investment is a dedicated half-cent transportation tax that dates back to 1985. It was renewed by the voters in the early 2000s, and we're at that that additional precipice point where by 2025, this dedicated tax goes away, if not extended. And I would argue, based upon the data we have, uh, overwhelmingly 90% of uh, GPEX locates, meaning companies from outside the market that make these major investments, go within two miles of these uh, major thoroughfares. So if we want to see you know a continued you know, lessened level of congestion, you know, compared to these other major U.S. markets. We want to see access to transit. We want to see, you know, new transit-oriented development across these hubs in the valley. You know, we have to see this move forward. So we've been very supportive of, of advancing this through the legislature, and my expectation is we'll get this done uh, over this next uh, few months. Chris Camacho is joining us. He is the uh, the CEO of the Greater Phoenix Economic Council. <clears throat> Let's talk a little bit about the East Valley when you talk about transportation. I've talked about the expansion of our freeway system and how it has stayed ahead of growth for the most part. It's, you know, with the South 202 and now the 303 expansion. But in the East Valley, Queen Creek has already had it, always had an issue with roads getting to the freeways. Now with the immense growth that they're going to have, how important is it for those smaller towns to get the money needed to fix roads and expand roads? Yeah, I don't know how we continue, Mike, to keep this burgeoning economic momentum going without uh, baseline infrastructure. And again, I would argue those that were here before us in the 80s and 90s and even early 2000s laid this foundation of a regional transportation grid. So places like Queen Creek and Maricopa and others uh, have connectivity to to the, the main MSA or the core of the MSA. With that said, we're seeing projects, whether it's LG or Taiwan Semiconductor or others, go out to you know these these parts of the valley where they can access labor they have quality infrastructure 
uh, you know, water, wastewater, et cetera, but also uh, the labor pool can draw, can be drawn from those respective submarkets, and, and it balances the region's dot jobs density. And so, again, I, I look at this as a major, uh, critically important investment uh, forthcoming, and, and again, it opens the door for major, more major, more economic uh, areas to evolve. One final thing I'll say too, Mike, is that. If you look at where the privately deeded land is here in the region, it's most notably west and northwest into the southeast. And so if we want to continue to see growth and, and jobs in the economy uh, to boom, we have to have this kind of infrastructure. My last question is about inflation. We know that people are call, being called house poor, especially here in the Valley. What they're paying for shelter is such a big part of their paycheck. And now we're watching rising gas prices. How negatively could this affect our growth if this gets out of control again? Well, I do think this is a, another national phenomenon of challenge where, you know, the Fed's been very active to try to curb inflation. And now you see uh, oil prices spike once again with, uh, you know, the cuts of the rationing that's uh, that's being led globally. So uh, what I care about, obviously, is, you know, small business caring about those that are trying to put uh, – you know, food on the tabletops. And, you know, these kind of inflationary effects continue. Uh, and it, it's becoming increasingly more challenging to temper inflation. Uh, one, because the, the core inflation levels have been maintained. And in addition to that, we're seeing still a, a very hot U.S. jobs market. And one thing as we forecast going forward, the, the expectation is there's going to be 3% year-over-year job growth here uh, in the region, which will outpace most U.S. markets. And so my view is we have to keep this jobs engine going while we do our best to curb these inflationary effects so we can keep Arizona's economy healthy. Chris, I appreciate all the information, and I hope you'll come back. I'd love to see as these projects progress and the growth continues to happen. Come on and give us an update if you would. I'll be happy to do that, Mike. Thanks for the time this morning. All right. Thank you. That's Chris Camacho from the Greater Phoenix Economic Council. Coming up in a moment, it is Gatos and the Big Q poll question of the day. So please stick around. The Gatos Big Q poll question brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. Well, we just figured out a way to brighten your Monday. It isn't Gatos. It's Zinsmeister in for the BQ poll question. Hey, Steve. Hey, what's going on, Mike? That's, that's, I'm pleasantly surprised to see you. Oh, glad to be it's seen. It's always good to see you, <laughs> but in place of Gatos is like a bonus. Yeah, I decided to come in studio to <laughs> grace you with my presence. Yes. It is the Gatos Big Q poll question. It's brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. Uh, I saw that Governor Hobbs has some splaining to do, yes. Mike, uh, when it comes to pausing executions in Arizona. This is the question. It's not even really a question. Governor Hobbs has paused executions in Arizona. I think blank. Your two choices are it's good to pause them or the victims deserve swift justice. So I've had several conversations with uh, Karen Price, who is the sister of Ted Price, who was murdered in 2002 by a guy named Aaron Gunches. 21 years ago. 21 years ago. They've been suffering through this. Aaron Gunches is still alive despite being sentenced to death twice. Yep. And he asked to be executed. He asked to be executed. Then when we got a new governor who doesn't seem to like executions, he changed his mind and said, oh, wait, never mind. I uh, don't want to be executed. That was supposed to happen three days from now, April 6th. Isn't that when the hearing is, though? Uh, now a judge has told Governor Hobbs and the director of the Department of Corrections to show up in court and explain why we're not 
following through on executions, which, by the way, are legal in Arizona. Right. And they're going to have to explain what they're doing about the pause. I'm sure that question is there a timeline of when you're going to be you're going to come to a conclusion. So I'm interested to see how this plays out, because the Supreme Court made it clear that the governor's under no obligation to enforce that warrant. Yeah, that's true. And I honestly don't even know if the governor and the director will show up to this court hearing. I don't know if there's some way to get out of it. It always seems like there's a way for politicians to get out of things. But um, I would be interested to hear their explanation. I'm hopeful that the governor is seriously taking a look at how we do executions and realizes, yes, we can continue to do this because I do think the victims and their families deserve swift justice. Right. Um, But – I don't know. Maybe we just have a governor that doesn't like the death penalty and will do anything to stop it. That's the biggest part of this for me is the victims all the way through because once someone is convicted of this, it all becomes – they become the victim. Their life, their childhood, all the things. But then every time there's a hearing, every time something happens with the court case, they notify the family members of the victims, which drags those wounds open again, and it prolongs justice for these families, and that's the worst part of this. Yeah, it's horrible. And and listen, I, I don't love the idea of having – to kill somebody, but uh, you know we have the death penalty in Arizona. It's already the law. So how you feel about the death penalty doesn't even really apply here necessarily. Right. We already have it. We just have to figure out whether or not the governor is going to fall. And if through. they don't want to do it, if they're not going to do it, then get rid of the law. Just change right. the law, which is difficult, but. If you're going to do it, that's the way to do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Great job, Steve. As All right, Mike. All right. The Big Q Poll Question Day brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. And uh, coming up just after 9 o'clock, we are going to talk about former President Trump is showing up to court tomorrow.